We are continuing uh, this morning in our Lyrics of Christmas series, and Pastor Matthew established the context for us where we will be today. Uh, The song we're going to hear from is from the angels, the angel song. Two very unlikely people, as far as what uh, the culture would have expected, shepherds, shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 is where we're going to be today. You want to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and get over there, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And verse 8 we'll pick up with says this In the same region, and that region is what we just heard read, the region of Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph were, and their newborn son, the Messiah, is now there. So in that region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night. Over their flock. So there's a show that uh, was very popular. I don't even know if it's still on the air anymore, but it was called Dirty Jobs. Anybody remember Dirty Jobs? And the host would go to all these different places and he would find the most um, repulsive, difficult job that no one else wants to do and he'd go find the people doing it and he would go and work alongside them and he'd show us all what is involved and I mean it was some bad stuff like cleaning out sewage lines and going on these these horrible um, trash pickup routes and other things I mean it was some bad stuff they were truly dirty jobs and his point was though someone's got to do it and he just wanted us to see what all went into those things Well, in this day and age, being a shepherd was like the number one dirty job. Uh, It was the job that no one else wanted to do, and everybody actually looked down on the ones doing it. Shepherds weren't trusted. They were looked at as unsavory. In fact, they weren't allowed to even give testimony in court. If if that were ever needed, they couldn't do it. Uh, They were kept at arm's length. They were the subject of jokes. You know, they were the outcast of society. That's what the shepherds were. And to me, one of the best things about this passage, one of the things I love the most is the fact that it's ordinary shepherds, like the song that we sang today and we know so well, the first Noel, you know, it was to certain poor shepherds the angels did sing. Certain poor shepherds, that's who we're talking about here. Ordinary, common Shepherds that were the first ones out of anyone else that were told about Messiah. They were the first ones that were able to see Jesus, the chief shepherd. So you had ordinary shepherds told about the chief shepherd, Jesus. It's incredible to me. They went from watching lambs, which were most likely sacrificial lambs, specifically for the Passover, Uh, In Bethlehem, in the fields there, the temple kept their sacrificial lambs in those fields. And they were the lambs that were used in the great Passover sacrifice. So very, very likely, these shepherds were watching the lambs that were going to be used in the great Passover feast. So ordinary shepherds were told about the chief shepherd, and they went from watching their lambs to being told about and getting to see, being able to see, the Lamb of God which takes away all the sin of the world. I mean, that's, that's just really amazing to me that God would do that, that he defied convention. 
And the fact that it was the shepherds that this happened to, this great announcement, it reinforces a common theme all throughout the Bible. We see it over and over and over. And that's that God does not subscribe to society's status quo. God doesn't subscribe to society's status quo. We see that all through the pages of Scripture. And he has use for those that the world considers useless. He has use for those that the world considers useless. And he, God, empowers the powerless. Isn't that good news? It's very good news to me. And we see that echoed by Paul, that concept. We see that echoed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where he says this, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Church, that's a big part of what makes the good news such good news. That God often, not always, but often he uses little things to do big things with. In other words, he does big things through little people. You know, we we all know what it's like to, to be considered little people, to be considered insignificant. The world has its description of what matters and its characterization of what is important and the ones that are important. And if you don't meet a certain criteria, then you're going to be looked over in society. But God uses the little people to do big things with. God is a God that does extraordinary things with and through the ordinary. And I'm very thankful for that because I'm, I'm ordinary, you know? I mean, I don't have a lot to bring to the table as far as what culture would, would say or what society would see as something valuable. I don't have a lot of that to bring. But by me being willing for God to use, that's what he's looking for and that's what he's asking for, is for me to be willing for him to use. And that's what he's looking for with you today. He's not looking for the big and the, the important. He's not looking for the famous and the flashy. doesn't mean he can't use that. And he does sometimes. It's not that he always uses the little people. It's just that he often does. God is looking for the willing spirit and the willing heart. The humble mind. The humble mind. And that's what we see with the shepherds. And when he uses people like the shepherds or others all throughout Scripture that other people look past and go, go beyond and write off, as he uses those people, as he uses me, as he uses you... It's all for his glory. And when he uses the little, the insignificant, and he uses those that have weakness, when he uses the frail and the forgettable, what happens is his glory gets put on display even more. His glory is highlighted that much more dramatically. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4-7. He said, we have this all-surpassing treasure in jars of clay, so that the excellency of God's glory may be proven to be from him and not from or through us. Clay jars, fragile, weak vessels, 
but ones that God in all of his infinite wisdom amazingly chooses to be the vessels that bear his glory. That's you and me today, if you're in Christ. Hallelujah, right? That's our God. And that's what we see on display here with these certain poor, common, ordinary, looked down on shepherds. And in verses 9 through 11, we see an amazing change in their very ordinary night that takes place. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. So remember, the shepherds are out in the fields like they always do every other night. The same thing. They're keeping watch at night over their flock. Verse 9. Then, or suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And that's literally next to. That's, that's actually literally what that means. So it's dark. It's quiet. All they're hearing is... And maybe a... From their fellow shepherds, they're asleep, right? Maybe little insects here and there. You see the stars, and that's the only light that there is, if there were stars. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord stood right there next to them. And if that wasn't enough, it continues, the text does, and says this, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, to go from pitch black and the sound of sheep to all of a sudden the most glorious of the created beings standing right there next to you. And if that weren't enough, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God all around them signifying his presence, that God is here. God is in this place. Yeah, terrified, that's a good word. I would be terrified too. I've often thought, what would this be like? What would this feel like? And the only thing I can come close to with my imagination, as limited as it is, is, you know how in every Star Wars movie, every Star Wars movie, you know, it, it goes from the THX with the big letting you know how the speakers are, and then it just goes to a black screen, right? And it stays on there, and then there's little words, long ago, in a galaxy far away, but there's no sound yet. And then all of a sudden, mom, right? And it's, it's the, the title comes down. And, and that's how I kind of envision this. It's like darkness, silence, maybe a few sheep, and then all of a sudden, Wham! There's this light of this incredible being, this angel, and he's standing right next to you, right there in your, in your midst. And then the, the glory of God, the presence of God is manifested there too. I mean, it'd be like all the Star Wars movies all put together and all those, you know, that, that music striking that chord all at once. By the way, I haven't seen the new Star Wars movie, so do not tell me anything about it. It's a side note. I'm serious. We won't be friends anymore. Okay? All right? But enough about that. Enough about that. This is better than any Star Wars could, could ever be. So an angel of the Lord stands right there before them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. They were terrified. Of course they were. Of course they were. 
But then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. You have no reason to fear, is what he's saying. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, or Yahweh, who is the divine Messiah. Church, what we need to always remember, we need to believe, we need to embrace, we need to proclaim, is this fact, that the gospel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus makes the glory of God a source of joy instead of fear. The gospel always makes the glory of God a source of joy instead of fear. But it's only the gospel that makes that change. See, as glorious as God is, we we can't even fathom what it means for God to really be glorious. I mean, it's just beyond our comprehension. But for God to be glorious as he is and so far above us and so far removed from everything we are, completely other from us, in all of his perfection, in all of his majesty, in all of his righteous holiness, we need to understand that apart from Christ, it is never, ever a source of joy for those outside of Christ. It's a source of terror. It's a source of judgment. It's a source, really, of wrath. Because without the gospel setting me free, without the gospel changing me, without the gospel making me what I need to be, if I were to be anywhere near God's holiness, I would cease to exist. I'd just be eradicated. And you would too. Because God cannot tolerate, he cannot at any point be where there is sin. His holiness just won't allow it. His holiness is too great. That's why when Moses said, God, I want to see your face. I want to see you so intimately. I, I want to know you fully. I want, to, I want to see what it is to be you. I want to just have the, the complete experience of everything you are, God. And God said to Moses, you can't. You can't look at my face. Because if you do, you'll die. So I'm going to hide you in this rock And I'm going to pass by you so that just a little bit of my glory is able to be seen by you. That's all you're going to be able to see. It's just too much. And so the fact that the shepherds were terrified at at the angel, but more than the angel, I really believe what terrified them was the manifest glory of God. Because they realized we're in the presence of the Almighty. And look at what we are. It's fitting, it's good, it's right and proper that we would all tremble before the great glory of our great God. The good news is that we don't have to remain that way. And through the gospel, what should rightly terrify us can actually become and does become a source of great joy. All because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel makes the glory of God a source of joy instead of fear. We, we see that. The angel's saying that. You don't have to be afraid because I bring you good news. And this news that the angel proclaimed and this gift 
that he was telling them about this was and is the greatest gift to mankind. Because our need for the Savior is the single greatest need mankind has. Our need for the Savior is the single greatest need mankind has. That's why this was the greatest gift. We don't need more political reforms, not really. I mean, it's nice if if it happens, but that's not really what we need most. We don't need another zero on our sum in our bank account or on our paycheck. I mean, it's nice when that happens, right? But that's not our real need. We don't need a bigger Christmas tree. We don't need more presents under it. We don't need more cars. We don't need a bigger house. When it comes right down to it, we don't need any of those things even close to the need that we all have for the Savior. Because nothing else will fulfill, nothing else will satisfy, and nothing else is able to take the glory of God and make it something to rest in and joy in rather than to dread. It's only the Savior that can do that. So, he said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Savior's born for you. And then he says this in verse 12, this will be the sign for you. He wants them to, to go and understand what they, what they are going to look for. And he wants them to not miss it. So he says, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby. And if I were the shepherds, I would have been like, wait, a, a baby? You just said... You're proclaiming great news that Messiah the Lord, but a baby, really? Wow, I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's right, a baby. I would have had to process that. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, the tightly in cloth, that would have been common practice. You, you swaddle the baby. You give them that comfort. They enjoy that. But that last part, lying in a manger, a manger? Did he just say a manger? That's what I would have. I would have been asking my, my friend. Like, did, did you hear that? A manger? That's a feeding trough. A feeding trough. That's, that's where the animals eat and drink out of. So this, this Messiah, this great divine Messiah, you're telling us that we're going to look for this little innocent baby. We can get there. We can wrap our minds around that. I mean, he's, he's born, okay, so we get that. But you're telling me he's in a feeding trough. Really? Wow. Okay. All right, this is getting weird, <laughs> right? Suddenly, suddenly, there was a multitude, verse 13, of the heavenly Host. That literally means the armies of heaven. This isn't just, you know, a few angels doing a little song and dance. This is the armies of heaven. Who knows how many this was? This multitude, I mean, it could be thousands. It could be millions. But this is the, the heavenly army. And they're not an army. The, the beautiful thing about this is they're not an army of war this time. This time they're an army of peace. They're an army proclaiming peace about the coming of the Messiah, the first advent. The second advent of the Son of God. There will be another heavenly army 
but it will be one of war. So it's very beautiful that here in this Advent, this amazing army of heaven is not coming to judge, but coming to offer hope and life and joy and peace. So this heavenly host, the armies of heaven, with the singular angel that was there, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So they're trying to wrap their minds, these shepherds, around all that they're, they're hearing about this new Messiah that's being born. And, and of all people, they're hearing this announcement. Why us? They must be thinking, we're shepherds. You do know that, right? We're shepherds. No one else would give us this kind of announcement. Why us? So I, I'm thinking they're trying to wrap their minds around that. Then they're told to go and, and find in Bethlehem a, a little baby. And they're trying to process that. And they're, they're there. And then, then they understand that where the baby is is not even a proper room. It's a feeding trough. And they're trying to wrap their minds around that. And then all of a sudden, the mom happens again. You know, the sudden the, the absolute unexpected appearance of not one, not two, but a multitude of the heavenly armies. And they just start praising God. And they're giving glory to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to people he favors. What this tells us, what this shows us, is that we receive peace when we give God glory. We receive peace when we give God glory. And we will be at the most peace always when we are giving God all the glory for everything. Our lives will be as they should be. Our lives will find the rhythm that we're supposed to be in when we're giving God glory. We'll have the most joy. We'll have the most peace. We'll have the most hope. We'll feel the most purpose in our lives when it's not about us, when it's all about him. That's what we're called to do. And, and the other thing that this shows us, that's just this incredible truth, that all of heaven declares God's praise and his glory. All of heaven does that perfectly. And yet we not perfect, weak, and feeble, and selfish, and distracted by so many things, we are privileged enough to be able to join in to the praise that all of heaven gives God. We're privileged enough to be able to, to join in to the, the praise of heaven. And as feeble as our praise is, our earthly praise compared to that of heaven, the amazing thing to me is, that God still receives it and it fills his heart with joy. Think about that. God has endless worship of angels. We're told that in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation that these incredible beings, these angels that we can't even really fully comprehend the, the glory that, that they have and the majesty they have and, and they're not even God. And they are always day and night saying, to God all around his throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as majestic and holy as they are, they don't even look at God. They can't. Those angels that are crying out, holy, 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 we're told in Scripture, they cover their faces so as not to even look at the face of their Creator. That's how incredible his glory is. 
And yet you and I are called to, we're invited to, we're urged to join in that praise moment after moment, day after day. And God looks at us, even though he has that kind of worship going on all around him, and he he hears our praise, and he receives it, and he welcomes it, and it fills his heart with joy. It's incredible. That's what we need to think of when we praise our God. That's what we need to be aware of. Then the scene changes once more. Verse 15. When the angels had left them, the shepherds, so, you know, wham, they're there, and wham, they're gone. Poof. I mean, talk about a head spin. Wow. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, after they, you know, picked themselves up off the ground, I think. The shepherds said to one another, let's go. (laughs) Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There was no question where this message came from. Did we just imagine this? Did we eat something that just uh, wasn't right? I mean, what kind of mushrooms did you have, right? This wasn't that. They weren't, they weren't hallucinating. They know that. They said, we know where this came from. This was a message from God. There's no doubt about it. So let's go and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger or feeding trough. And after processing that, after seeing that, and after obviously worshiping and praising, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Part of that was probably the fact that it was the shepherds telling them. Wait a second. This great announcement, the the fact that Messiah is finally here, the angels came and told you all this, they told you? I mean, you guys? And after they got over that, then they were amazed at the news itself. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. That's the right response from Mary. See, we so often, we rush through the processing of great news. We rush through it. We don't give ourselves time to wrap our minds or our hearts around it. When's the last time you stopped and you just allowed your mind to soak up the rich truth of the gospel that you've received? When's the last time you allowed yourself just to stop and think about what it means that you are saved? What that actually means. The implication of all that. We would be wise to do what Mary did here with her own son and seeing these shepherds coming and knowing about the angel's announcement and seeing people worship her son She didn't just kind of just jump into this emotional reaction. Though there's nothing wrong with emotion. But she went deeper. She said, I've got to just think about this. I've got to let my heart settle on this a little bit. I've got to let my mind wrap around all that I'm seeing and all that I'm part of. All that I've been given. And when we do that, that will always result in greater praise. So it's important to do that. 
So she was meditating on all this, and the shepherds returned. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. See, what we, what we see here in the shepherds as a result of the angel song to them is that hearing good news, hearing good news, which they did, they heard the good news, but hearing good news should result in good news being shared. Always. And we know that. That's what we do. I mean, when we get good news about anything, we don't keep that to ourselves, right? We go and tell people. I mean, when we get that raise that we weren't expecting, we, we tell people about it. I got a raise. Money, money, money. Right? That's what we do. When we, when we hear that our loved one uh, is no longer battling with the illness that they've been battling with and struggling with, we tell everybody. You know? When our kid does something amazing, that no one else will find amazing, by the way, but it's amazing to us. We tell everybody, you know? I mean, you fill in the blank. When you get good news, you don't just, no, that's good, no, that's good news. No, you go, you, you tell someone. You're like, man, you're not going to believe what happened. Hey, let me tell you about this. I'm so excited. And you, you go and you tell whatever your good news is. Well, hearing good news should result in good news being shared, and especially that's true of the good news, the gospel. That is true of the gospel more than any other thing because it is the best news. It's the news of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and for me. If you've received the good news yourself, you can't keep that to yourself. You've got to go and share it and proclaim it and spread it. You've got to do what the shepherds did and just tell everyone that they, they could find about what just happened, about what has changed now. What's changed in them personally? What's changed for everyone who will receive the same news that they have just heard? Good news should result in good news being shared, and that's how it should be with the gospel, the good news that we have. And often, often, don't miss this, often the context for doing that, for sharing that good news, often the context remains the same as it was before we heard the good news. We need to bloom for God where we're planted, is what I'm saying. See, so, so many times we have this expectation that when God does something in our lives or he calls us to something or you know, he gives us this, this gift with which to use for his glory, we have this, this expectation, I think, sometimes that that means our situation and our circumstance is going to just drastically, dramatically, significantly change. And, and it might. Sometimes it does. But often the case is that God calls you to serve him and to minister for him in exactly or in very similar ways as you already are. And sometimes we get caught up in wanting more or wanting new or wanting different when God is actually saying, no, I just want you to serve me right where you're at. I want you to stay in the rhythms that you're already in. And I want you to bloom for me where you're planted. I, I have you here for a reason. When I was younger, I, I didn't get that. And I had this, this idea, and I would say this to our college students that are preparing for ministry even more than other people, okay? 
When I was just starting out in college, I had this vision of what God wanted me to do, and I had a sense of his calling on my life, and I knew he wanted me to serve him vocationally in ministry. Um, but I was, I was just impatient. And after my time was done initially at ABC, I wanted to launch right in to ministry. I wanted to, to be on staff and have a, you know, a salary to do the work of the ministry. I wanted to be paid to minister, and it just didn't happen that way. And I had to work a full-time job while I was serving God as youth pastor. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, my heart was, was wrong. I was, I was bitter about that. I wasn't content uh, I looked at some of my friends who were full-time youth pastors, and I was envious of them. I mean, envious of them ministering, right? It's sad. I was envying my fellow co-laborers, but I was, because I had this idea that God was going to take me out of the environment I was in that I didn't like, because I didn't like working retail, you know, and I didn't like those extended holiday hours, and I wanted to be out of that just so I could serve God better, quote, quote. And what God had to do in my heart was say, no, you're missing the point. Where I have you is where I want you. This job is more than a job. This is more ministry I'm giving you to do. I want you to to be my ambassador at your job along with the work you do at the church. And he had to work on me in that way. See, the shepherds, saw some amazing things. They heard some amazing things. But after all that, they just went back to their normal routine. They returned back to their sheep, back to the hillside. After all they experienced, they just went back to life as normal. Life went on. The angels went back to heaven. They went back to sheep. But here's the beautiful thing. They went back to the same experience that they had had But the experience they had kept them from ever being the same again. They went back to the sheep, but they went back changed. Guarantee it. They were never the same. And God took them, these lowly shepherds, these humble people, and he used them as the first evangelists of his son to all the surrounding people. And then he had them go back and continue on right where he had them. So the question for us is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to accept from God whatever assignment he has for us, wherever he's placed us in life, whatever job he's given us to do out in the world, out in the community, whatever, whatever family he's given us, whatever talents and gifts or lack of talents and gifts maybe that others have that you don't have, are we content with all that? Whatever church he's led us to, not to just sit here and week after week, but to sit here and take what we're given and to actually serve him and others with. Are we doing that? Are we eager to do that? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be what he's called us to be and to be that where he's called us to be? Are we willing? Or are we always looking for the next best thing? Are we still in this deception of our mindset that says the grass is greener on the other side, when in fact it's never greener on the other side. It's just more grass. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to do for him? And where are we willing to do it? Have we been changed by encountering the Messiah, 
the Savior, the greatest gift that we all need? Have we been changed? And what are we doing with that news that's changed us? That's my question for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you so often decide to do extraordinary things with ordinary people. And through ordinary circumstances, you so often do extraordinary, amazing things. And I thank you, Father, for choosing us in our weakness and in our frailty, even, Father, because of it, so that your glory is that much more undeniable. So that when people see us and and they hear from us and yet they see the things you do through us and they hear the things you say through us, they will know this can't be this person. This has to be someone else. This has to be someone more, someone greater. And then we have the ability to say, yeah, you're right. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my Savior. Thank you for getting glory through us. And thank you for inviting us in to your plan, to your story, and for using us once we have surrendered to the good news, once we've surrendered to that greatest gift, your son, for using us then as your instruments, as your tools, as your method to go out and bring other people to you. What a privilege. Oh, Father, help us, please, to be as faithful as these shepherds were when they heard this amazing song that the angels proclaimed, this amazing announcement. They believed it. They embraced it. They internalized it. And then they went and did something about it. And thank you, Father, most of all, for for them showing us that many times you call us to go right back to where we were, but to go back changed. And to take what changed us out to other people as well. May we be faithful in those ways. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the announcement of your son. And thank you for the gift of life in and through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.